From APM American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. This fall, we'll be releasing a documentary about teacher preparation, how people learn to become teachers, and how they get better once they're in the classroom. This week, we're going to hear a bit about how Japanese teachers learn to improve on the job. Our story begins with an American woman named Catherine Lewis, who was in Japan in the 1990s, writing a book about children's behavior and classroom management. She wasn't planning to study teaching, but she ended up getting really interested when she began to notice how students in Japan were learning and how much she was learning by sitting in on their lessons. Lewis spoke with our correspondent Emily Hanford, who started out by asking her how she got interested in how Japanese teachers teach. All of a sudden, I realized I was learning all sorts of interesting things about mathematics and science. And when I asked Japanese teachers, how did you learn to teach this way? They said, oh, these teaching strategies came from the United States. And I was dumbfounded because I had never seen these in U.S. classrooms. I noticed, for example, that there are many ways to figure out what's the area of a parallelogram if you simply know the area of a rectangle. And when I was in school, that had just been taught to me as a formula. I'd never been expected to sort of invent that myself. And here were Japanese 11-year-olds coming up with multiple ways to prove what's the formula, to derive the formula for area of a parallelogram, just based on their knowledge of area of a rectangle and just based on cutting up or redrawing with concrete materials. And it opened up a whole new world of mathematics to me that I'd never seen in my, whole, my own education. When you told me the story on the phone and, and some in your book, you also talked about science. Can you say what you were noticing about science? Well, it's interesting. You know, I'm sure in my own elementary education, I studied pendulums at some point, but I never noticed them in daily life. Um, and when I was in Japan, I began to notice things like pendulums and levers everywhere in my daily life. And it was from the way the students were studying it. So, for example, I noticed that where I was attaching my heavy computer to my rollerboard suitcase was a problem in levers, and I'd never noticed that. How I was trying to swing my arms at the same pace while carrying a, an umbrella was a problem in pendulums, and I'd never noticed that. So it was the way the students were studying it in school that was making me notice science in daily life. And I thought how powerful that is, that students are not just studying science three hours a week, they're studying it during all their waking hours because they're noticing it in their daily life. So they begin their study of each of those topics with a real-world problem, and I think that's what hooks kids into seeing it in daily life. For example, the teacher will plop a 100-kilogram sack of sand in the middle of the gym and challenge students to lift it, rather than starting with the abstract um, principles of pendulums. I see. So they might start with a heavy bag of sand, get, have them try to lift it, and then think, oh, how else could you do this? And then introduce the idea of a lever. Yes. What was it when they said to you, oh, we learned this from the United States? What do you mean? What did they learn from the United States? What did you later figure out they had learned from us that you thought, oh, yeah, they did? Well, there are lots of excellent uh, curricula and excellent teaching strategies that have been developed in the United States often by university-based researchers. So here's a strategy you see often in Japanese classrooms. Teachers will put each child's name on a magnet, and those magnets attach to the whiteboard at the front. And when 
you're thinking about a complex problem, you'll go up and put your name on the magnet next to the solution that you agree with. And then you listen to the discussion. And as as you hear the classroom discussion, your own ideas might shift and you might go up and move your name magnet to go with a different answer. And so that's a strategy that'll keep 30 students really engaged in a complex mathematical or scientific discussion because they're always thinking, how is my idea shifting? And which of these solutions do I agree with? Where does my prediction fall? And that's a technique that was developed by US researchers, but you rarely see it in US classrooms. Whereas in Japanese classrooms, it's very unusual to find a classroom where you don't have children's names on magnets. And that develops in children the habit of when they're listening to a discussion that might just be three or four children, they're always thinking, how is my thinking changing? Um, where do I, do I need to go up and shift my magnet on the board to show that my idea has changed? And for example, many classrooms will have a agreement that if your idea shifts, you have to write down in your own notebook why your thinking changed. So that's a a strategy for dealing with a very common problem of teaching, which is how do you keep the whole class actively involved in thinking when only a few students are speaking. Okay, so when you said to the Japanese teachers, how did you learn to do this? And they said, we learned it from the United States. Then what was your next question? Because the next question is, well, how did you learn to do it, though? (laughs) Yes, so, you know, when teachers said these things came from the United States, that was puzzling to me because I hadn't seen them used widely in the United States. So I asked teachers, well, how did you personally learn to teach this way? And they all said, lesson study, lesson study. We'll pause for a moment here to explain. Lesson study is something that Japanese educators have been doing for a long time to help them learn new methods and to become better teachers. Teachers come together in small groups to talk about a teaching problem or challenge. Maybe their students are struggling to understand what a remainder is, or they're having a hard time with fractions. Together, the teachers research and plan a lesson, and then one of them teaches the lesson to a class of kids while the other teachers observe. Afterwards, they get together to talk about how it went and how the lesson could be improved. It's very different from the typical professional development in the United States. Here, teachers tend to go to professional development days where they learn new methods or approaches and are then expected to go back to their classrooms and figure out how to use what they've learned on their own. Japanese teachers figure it out together. Here's Catherine Lewis again. So I started asking to see lesson study, and then I could see it's a place to learn in practice. Um, one of the incent- essential ingredients in improving teaching is being able to see the impact of your own teaching, and you can't do that when you're teaching a lesson. Um, so you need your colleagues to be carefully writing down your students' words and your words and carefully analyzing how are students responding to your instruction. And then you have the information you need for the first time to improve your teaching. So trying to improve teaching without having your colleagues carefully observe your instruction and see what are students thinking, how are they responding, what are they writing. You're missing an essential ingredient if you're trying to improve your teaching without knowing how students are responding to your teaching. 
That first time that you got to see Lesson Study in 1993, how did that happen? You, 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 had this, you had this moment of recognizing that the kids were learning really differently and that they got these ideas from the United States and that Lesson Study was the way. So how did you get into a classroom? How did you get to see it for the first time? Well, teachers kept saying these teaching techniques came from the United States, but I learned to use them through Lesson Study. And so I said, show me Lesson Study. And... It was through immersing myself in the lesson study process that I began to see its power. I think another element of its power is how motivating it is. We have lots of carrots and sticks we try to use in the U.S., but most teachers are deeply motivated and deeply moved by seeing children learn. So you don't need all the carrots and sticks if you have lesson study because every teacher wants their own students to have that light in their eyes and have that aha experience and um, have that excitement about learning mathematics or science that they see in another classroom. Um, So that's the real motivator for teachers. And that's the other thing that was very striking to me about lesson study is that it's a natural motivator for teachers. Everyone wants their students to have that aha experience, and no one wants their students to be bored and distracted during class. So by watching those lessons from the standpoint of the student, it really nurtures your motivation and is a very natural way for teachers to want to learn to improve and to do that very hard work of continuing instructional improvement. When you say we have a lot of carrots and sticks in the United States, what do you mean by that? We try to motivate teachers in ways that are outside of teaching, that are things like salary um, or punishments and rewards related to test scores. But sadly, many of those things may undermine teachers' capacity to work together. An individual teacher can only do so much to improve instruction. You know, we often act as if you can improve in teaching just by working hard as an individual. And that's certainly a start. But in fact, you can't improve teaching without having routines at your school that are focused on improving teaching and collegial trust. And it's only by working together that teachers can come up with a really cohesive, coherent approach to teaching at a school. So back to your own story for a moment. You're in Japan, you see lesson study in 1993, and then what? What are you motivated to do and what do you do? Well, when I saw this way of learning on the job, I thought, this has got everything that's needed in the United States. It's got something that's deeply motivating for teachers. It's very authentic. All teachers are engaged in the work of planning lessons. If they could do this with their colleagues using high-quality materials, how much more satisfying that would be. It's got learning from practice. You know, you can't learn just by talking about practice or even by watching a video. You really need to learn by doing it, seeing the impact on students, getting to see how colleagues do it. I thought, this has got everything we need. And so I started talking with U.S. teachers about it. And my experience is that U.S. teachers are very enthusiastic about lesson study. 
when you look even at randomized controlled trials in the United States, teachers rate lesson study as a very useful, much more useful form of professional learning than other typical forms of professional learning. So U.S. teachers embrace it. They see it as something that builds their leadership, that's very authentic, that helps them really improve the next day, that helps them build good collegial relationships, that helps them change the talk around the water cooler, as one U.S. teacher put it. What do you mean by that? Well, this teacher said, I asked, what's the biggest change with lesson study? And she said, the talk around the water cooler has really changed. We used to hide it when we had a failure. And everybody has failures in teaching, but we used to hide them. And now we're perfectly comfortable saying, you know, I don't have a good way of teaching division with remainders. What do you do? Can I come see it in your classroom? And we feel perfectly comfortable when we see things in other teachers' classrooms reaching out and saying, you know, I have really good materials for that, or come watch it in my classroom. So it changes the day-to-day interaction among teachers. Because once you've seen another teacher's teaching, you know how you can be of support to them. And once you've seen teaching through their students' eyes, you feel these are our students. These are not just my students or your students. These are our students. This is our instruction, not just my instruction or your instruction. So I think U.S. teachers have really embraced lesson study. But it's not as simple as volunteer groups of teachers doing it, which is already happening around the U.S. There are many groups of teachers continuing to do lesson study for even a decade just as volunteers. What needs to happen is for it to be integrated into the routines of U.S. schools, So U.S. schools have many routines that are not directly designed to improve teaching and learning the way lesson study is. So we need to displace some of those routines that do not help us improve teaching and learning and substitute routines like lesson study that really do help improve teaching and learning. That was Catherine Lewis, a senior research scientist and director of lesson study research projects at Mills College in California. Lewis is the author of several books, including one called Lesson Study Step-by-Step, How Teacher Learning Communities Improve Instruction. She was speaking with American Radio Works' Emily Hanford. You can read more about Lewis's work on our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org, where you'll find more podcasts about issues in K-12 and higher education, and where you can browse our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We're really curious about what you think of our podcasts and documentaries, so let us know. You can drop us a line at AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American Radio Works comes from Lumina Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM, American Public Media.